You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Let me begin with this thought. You know, I turned 55 this year. A few years ago, my dad came to me and said, Eric, he said, listen, I really want you to consider starting uh, earlier in getting a yearly physical. My dad had had uh, prostate cancer uh, and it kind of, you know, it, it, it definitely was kind of a wake-up call for his health. And he had not, uh, he had never, you know, shared that with me and said, look, I'd like for you to just, you know, make a yearly appointment. I think I was 40 years old when I started doing this yearly physical, this yearly checkup. Sometimes you start at 40 or 45. I've talked to some guys over 50 that still, you know, don't go on a yearly basis. I encourage you to do that. There's so many things you find out. I don't know anything about numbers, about when they start reading off the blood test numbers, and they say, yeah, you're this, like, I think one word is like triglyceride or something. And he says, yeah, your triglycerides are this. What does that mean? You know, so you have to ask, is that good? Was that good, what you just said? You know, whatever that number was with that long name, you know, with that long word. And uh, he would say that's good. But, But a few years ago, he did mention that there was some sort of a good cholesterol, bad cholesterol. He mentioned this and said, you know, you got one, whatever, whichever one it was, was a little bit like borderline. So he said, hey, it's not a big thing, but it could become a big thing if, if it's neglected. He said, I want you to take two red yeast tablets every day. Is, that, is there such a thing? Am I saying that right? Red yeast? Okay. And so I went to the store and I bought those several years ago and I've been doing it ever since. And sure enough, I go back after taking these two little red deals whatever, yeast, sounds weird to me, but you take them and it drives that number down enough to where it got below. Sharon, right? You're a nurse. Richard, am I, am I doing it? Okay, it was good. Okay, good. Yes. And it, it came down below that number where it needed to be. And I didn't feel any different. I didn't, you know, it wasn't anything that I felt like, okay, wow, this has really made a difference. But he told me based on the numbers that it was a good thing. And so I began to think about my heart a little bit. Every time I would go in after that, I would always ask, so what about that number? So how's that number doing? Where's that number at? Am I okay? How's my heart? What are those? And I asked a lot of questions. Well, this morning, I've done a lot of thinking about my physical heart, but lately I've been doing some thinking about my spiritual heart. And really that's probably much more important. The internal part of us. You see, every person in this room knows that they have this blood-pumping organ in their bodies, this, this, this organ that is uh, valve-oriented. We all know that, and we understand that, but I'm talking about something a little different. I'm talking about the center of your being, the part of you that will live for eternity. The Bible calls it the heart. The Bible calls it the soul, it's, the, it's made up of your mind, it's made up of your emotions, it's made up of your will, your ability to choose. And the Bible has some very specific, incredible things to say about your heart. It's the most important part of us. And if, if I was listening to someone speak about the most important part of my spiritual life, I would want to listen. Just as I listen to my doctor say, you've got this situation that could become a problem. It's the part of us that will live forever. It's the place that we choose, where we choose. Our heart is the place where we make decisions about who we will love and who we will forgive. It's our heart that relates to God. A moment ago, as we worshiped God, 
It was our heart that was worshiping. When we pray, we pray from our hearts. And the Bible has two pretty striking things to say about the heart. Let's start there, shall we? First of all, it says that our hearts are deceitful. My heart is deceitful. It's pretty hard, harsh words, isn't it, about the heart? Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9 puts it like this. The heart is deceitful above all things. Nothing is more deceitful than your heart. In fact, the Bible even says more about it. It says, not only is your heart deceitful, it's, it's desperately sick. It's very hard to understand. Let me put it to you this way. Our capacity to convince ourselves that we are other than we think we are is incredible. We can really talk ourselves into something or into someone or into being in a certain place and and we're not even close to being there. But we can somehow convince ourselves that we are. We're fine. We're okay. That's because our heart is a liar. It's deceitful. It's desperately wicked. It's very hard to understand. So that's, that's something that I think we need to understand as we approach the introduction of this message. It's very profound, isn't it? Here's another profound thought about the heart found in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. Your heart is the most important part of you. And here's what scripture says. Keep your heart with all diligence. Because out of it springs the, all the issues of life. And so because... Out of your heart springs all these issues. You've got to make an effort to really keep your heart with all diligence because it is the most important part of you. So I've been doing a little heart examination, heart surgery during vacation. And I want to encourage you, if your heart is open, and I say that lovingly because I know not everyone's heart this morning is open. I understand that. I mean, it's a lot of people in this room. But if your heart is open, I want you to do a little self-examination. And if your heart is, is not open, may you potentially in the next few moments even pray that the Holy Spirit would open your heart so that you could receive some of what I'm going to say this morning. We're going to divide this message into three parts. Now, after preaching the message this morning, I realized when I got done, wow, that was a, a little bit of a tougher message. It, I, I, didn't, I didn't preach it in a harsh way, but it... It's, it's convicting. It's tough. There are some really difficult things to digest, not in the way of understanding them, but in the way of receiving them. I understand that going into it. That's why I want to start with some interpretation. And then step two, I want to move to some application. And then step three, if you can stay with me that long, I want to move to action. So let's start with interpretation. Mark chapter 4, verse number 1. Would you join me in the scriptures this morning? Again, he began to teach beside the sea. We're in Mark, the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. We're talking about a growing in the likeness of Christ, becoming more like Jesus, right? Isn't it all about Jesus? Show us your glory, right? Amen? So let's ask God to show us himself this morning. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. Jesus did. And what happened was a very large crowd gathered about him. And because of that, he had to get into a boat. It was Peter's boat. And and, and we find that in an earlier chapter, the previous chapter, he sat in that boat on the sea. So he's on the water, he's sitting in the boat. So many people had gathered along the shore. It says they were, the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land and he was teaching them in this boat many things in parables. And in his teaching, here's what he said. 
He's teaching them, and he said this, listen. Listen, exclamation mark in, in, in my translation. Listen. He said, a sower went out to sow. So first of all, let's picture just for a moment, kind of a visual. Here's a sower. He's going out to sow. He's got a bag over his shoulder. Let's call it a satchel. It's full of seeds. And obviously his desire is that that seed is placed in good soil. That's his goal. That's what he wants. He, he's trying to, he's attempting to, to be a good sower. And he wants to sow the seed in good soil. That's his goal. That would be his desire. So he sows, but some of the seed fell along the path. Some of the seed fell along this path. The path back in that day, there were no roads. There was no concrete or highways or expressways. These would have been beaten paths that people had well-traveled paths that were made by just the footprints of you know, many travelers. So here's this path. And some of the seeds fell on that path, but it was so hard that it just fell and it never got below the surface. And so the birds came, the Bible says here, and devoured those seeds. Other seeds fell on rocky ground. And now a farmer will tell you that it's best to take the rocks out of the field before you, you, you sow the seed. But these were not rocks that could be seen. These were not rocks on top of the ground. These would have been rocks inside the soil. And so as he, he, he places the seed into the ground, uh, it falls along what's called this rocky ground. It didn't have much soil because it was so full of rocks. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. So there was not much depth of soil for it to take root. And so it it sprung up quickly. But when the sun rose, verse 7, it was, or verse 6, it was scorched. It had no root because of the rocks. And so it withered away. And so other seed then falls among thorns. These weeds. Many different things within the soil that ended up choking out the thorn, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the seed, the, the grass as it grew and it yielded no grain, but other seed fell into good soil. So there is some good soil here and this good soil produced grain. And it's pretty amazing what it, it, it what happened here is it, it grew and it increased some 30 fold, other 60 fold, and actually some even 100 fold. We'll come back to that later. How amazing and supernatural that really is. And then it says this, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, we often hear, but we don't listen because there's different levels of hearing, right? You ever thought about that? I mean, all of us probably don't have the same exact level of hearing. Some can be hard of hearing. I think as we get older, sometimes we, we are hard of hearing. I don't think I'm hard of hearing. I think just sometimes I don't listen because my kids and my wife tell me they say things that they were very clear and I acknowledge, but I don't respond as if I was what? Listening. I heard, I just didn't listen. So here they were hearing it, but their mind uh, oftentimes my mind when I hear something is in another place. For instance, right now in this room, as we speak in the balcony, wow, lots of folks in the balcony. Good to see you up there. Yeah, you look good. So uh, the, the, right now as we, as we listen to the balcony on the main floor, all across this auditorium, there are different levels of hearing. Either you are hearing, but not leaning in. Maybe not focusing your heart and hearing the words. Maybe others are leaning in. You came so 
excited about what was going to be taught or said. This is a very important hour in your life. You came prepared. You're leaning in. You're focusing actually, potentially already. You have felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You've been hearing the voice of the Spirit. You're hearing past my words and you're hearing him. You see, my words are imperfect. My words are imperfect. If all you hear are my imperfect words, but you never hear past my imperfect words to his perfect words, then chances are there may be no life change. And that's what Jesus meant when he said in verse number nine, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So there's four things to interpret here. All right, let's do, let, let's do that together. Four things in the text. Number one, let's discover this quickly. The soil is the human heart. We often call this the parable of the what? The sower. But could this morning we call it the parable of the soils? I really think that might be more applicable to what we're learning here today. The parable of the soils. The soil is the human heart. And more than this is a parable of the sower. We seem to find much more about the heart than anything else. You see, the key in this is the different kinds of soils that the seed finds. And in this room, there may be different kinds of soils that we identify in our own hearts that the word of God is going to find as it falls out into the audience this morning. Secondly, the seed is the word of God. So the soil is the human heart. The seed is the word. Every person needs to ask themselves this morning, how does my heart respond when it intersects with the word of God? Because this morning we are having a moment where your heart is coming in contact with the word of God. So how is your heart responding to that? I mean, it's amazing how much the word of God resembles seed. Think about it. Seed has what? Seed has life in it. It grows. There's life in seeds. And God's word is life. God's word is quick, isn't it? It's powerful. Scripture even describes God's word as sharper than any two-edged sword. So if I'm coming into contact with something that's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, when that intersects with my life, it should make a difference. Something should change. Something, Something should happen. Something with as much life as that. So the seed has life in them. Secondly, seeds are very small, but ultimately they produce a big result. Doesn't that describe the word of God? It's very small. These verses are small. These passages are small. Aren't these parables rather small? Isn't it amazing how much Jesus gets into really small stories? They're small, but they produce big results. It's a wonderful thing to sow God's word into people's lives. Number three, the sower is anyone who ministers the word of God. So we've identified the seed, we've identified the soil, and now we identified the sower. This is anyone, for instance, this morning, I'm the sower. I'm I'm, I'm having an opportunity, and I'm so thankful to Jesus for this opportunity. I don't want to take it for granted that I get to sow some seed into your life this morning. But it's not just a Sunday morning service. It's, It's a small group leader who gathers a few people in his living room and just sows some, some seed into the lives of, of the hearers. Maybe it's a father who this week took his son out for a father-son talk and just sowed some seed. He was a sower into his son's life. Maybe it's a friend who you have a burden for. He's unsaved. 
They don't know Jesus. And this week, God gave you an opportunity to sit down and have a cup of coffee with someone. And across the table, you shared some of the word. And you, you were the sower into his life, the word of God. If the sower is anyone who is, who is sowing God's word. There's nothing more important to do with your life than to sow God's word into people that you come in contact with. Nothing more important. So now let's move to the application. That's the interpretation. Simple. We're there. We've got it. Soil, seed, sower, right? Now let's move to the application. I want you to find yourself in the parable. I don't want you to just mark this off as it's for someone else or it was written 2,000 years ago. Jesus was talking to a different context, a different culture. No, no. Let's find ourselves in this story. I'll, I'll tell you when I found myself. I'll be very transparent in just a moment. I want you to help. I want to help you find yourself in the story. In fact, to be honest, you might find yourself in multiple places. All right, so I want to ask you four questions this morning. First of all, as we apply this message, how, do I have, number one, do I have a hard heart? Now, don't dismiss that. Because, you know, it's easy to say, well, I'm here this morning, Pastor. I'm sitting in the pew. I got up out of bed. I came to church. It's definitely not me in that part of the story. That's not me. I, 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 I can tell you right now, I'm going to be looking for myself, as you've asked, but somewhere else. No, don't, don't do that. Don't dismiss it. You, you may have a hard heart. Keep your heart open. Look at verse 15 in the text. It's on the screen. It says, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Now, don't dismiss that. So here is someone who is hearing the word of God this morning. But they are potentially going to forget it before they get their, to their car in the parking lot. Satan is going to snatch it away in between where you're sitting and where you're going to sit next in your car to go home. And he has a plan to do that. And oftentimes, our hearts are hard. And when we hear the truth of God's word, even as a follower of Christ, at times, we, the truth is snatched away from us. And we have a hardened heart towards what has been shared. The seed of the word of God doesn't penetrate our hearts. It just stays on the surface and Satan snatches it away. So how does that exactly happen? Well, I'm going to give you four quick ways that you can harden your heart. And again, identify yourself. Number one, we run. We run. We're convicted. I mean, what we're hearing is what we need. Because we're convicted and we're uncomfortable, we shut it off. We run. We hear the gospel. Jesus is the only way. But we shut it off. We turn off the radio. We don't want to hear what, what we have to say. We walk out of church. I've actually, I've actually witnessed that. People just get up and walk out of church. And I'm not talking about maybe to go to the restroom. or, But, I mean, they just walk out. You know, it's, it's, it's just... Or, or they... They're, they're looking up at the message that comes to a place where they're uncomfortable and they begin to play a game on their phone or they begin to allow something else to consume them because it's just easier to not come back to church next Sunday than to have to go through that again. And we look to the preacher and we begin to blame the sower when it, it was not the sower that was speaking, it was the Holy Spirit of God that was convicting us about something. I've actually been there. You ever been there? I mean, to be honest, have you ever been uncomfortable in church? And it would have just been easier have not to come that Sunday. 
We run. And when we run, we have a hardened heart. It hardens our heart every time we run from the truth. Secondly, we deny what we hear. We deny it. We hear that we should forgive others. We hear that we should give generously. We hear that Jesus is the only way. And we begin to make exceptions and excuses for ourselves. For instance, it's for someone else. It's not for me. So I'm I'm glad so-and-so is here to hear that. Boy, they really need it. And it's just easy to excuse it to someone else when really the message was for us. But it was much easier for us to deny that it was for us and just say it was for somebody else. And when the heart gets hard, the word of God can't penetrate. We run. We deny that it's for us. Secondly, we're distracted. You sit here this morning and you don't hear the message as someone who needs to hear it. That's hard-heartedness. We get our eyes on other people. We get our eyes off of Christ. And where, your, where is your heart today? I want you to examine, a little self-examination. Is your heart on Christ? Are you listening to what he has to say? Or is it on something else or someone else? This is me sometimes. This is where I identify myself in the story. I get distracted. I do. I can oftentimes... When I'm listening to a message, some other thought, some other situation, I can hear something and instead of applying it to me, I apply it to one of you. I think, man, I got to send this message to somebody else. You know, they really need this. Or, or, or I, need to, I need to text someone or talk to someone or share this with someone. And I'm not saying that's, not a, that's a bad thing, but, but oftentimes I get so distracted and it's not just distracted in that I'm thinking of someone else that needs it. Sometimes it's distracted in just that I, I know I suffer from a little OCD, not maybe a medical type, but a definitely, I just have a, an attention span that sometimes can be all over the place and I'm easily distracted. And I know that Satan has stolen some really good things from me because I've been distracted and my heart has gotten hard towards what I was intended to receive. And then number four, we get apathetic. Apathetic. If you get apathetic, your heart is going to get hard. We sit here and we hear it, but we do nothing about it. We even sometimes say, you know, amen, or we nod, or we take notes, or we say on the way out, man, that was a good message, but we do nothing. That's apathy. And nothing will harden your heart more than hearing the word of God and agreeing that it's true. But doing nothing about it. That's what James meant when he said we are hearers of the word. Excuse me, he said be hearers of the word and not doers only. But I want to reverse that and say sometimes we are doers but not, but not hearers. And, and, and sometimes when we do things without allowing the seed of the word of God to come into our hearts, we're, we're going off of emotion and that doesn't last. We're motivated for this very short period of time, but because it never really settled in as truth and conviction, we fizzle off and we never become what God intended us to be. So what, that's what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter three, verse 15, when it says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts today. Today is a great day. Today is Mark chapter 4. Today is a message about the heart. Don't harden your heart today. Listen to this truth today. Let it change your heart today. Is the soul of your heart hard to God? Now, here's the test. 
And I want you to test yourself. It's easy to do it. Listen to this. The test is how do you respond to truth? Not feeling, because I feel really good when I come to church. I felt really good during the worship service. In fact, I was raising my hands. I was enjoying it. I mean, I even a couple times felt myself being brought to tears. And that's all good. And I'm not against that. And I love it. But I don't know that feeling is really what changes your life. We feel good about a lot of things, don't we? And sometimes we feel good and we get this kind of touchy-feely feeling. And, but you learn a lot about a person's heart, not by what they feel, because feelings sometimes can change and be up and down and hot and cold. But how do you respond to truth? You know, I've learned to live on a lot less amens. I used to go to a church where you measured the success of the sermon by how many amens you got. By how many times people raised their Bibles in the air. By how much you could get the crowd worked up. If I did that today, I'd be very discouraged. But I'm okay with it. Because it's not so much how much you feel about the message as what you do with the truth. You see. Sometimes I think we get really emotional in the church, but it, that's it. We're not very emotional and excited about the word of God when we leave. You see, a tender heart receives truth. So do I have a hard heart? Question number two, do I have a shallow heart? A shallow heart. Mark chapter four. And I want you to notice uh, verse number 16. It says, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. Now, when I first read that passage, I thought, well, that's good. I mean, think about that. Just that that verse on its own, standing just alone, sounds great. Here is someone who receives the sermon with joy. Here is someone who receives the word, the question, the opportunity. For instance, would you like to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior? Why not? Sounds like a great, won't hurt. Let's try it. Let's do it. In fact, would you like to be baptized? Yeah, let's just do that too. I'm all good. So we pray the prayer, we put them under the water, we make them a deacon, they write a book, and we never see them again. And and I feel as if I was often potentially in my early days as an immature preacher, guilty of just sowing seed in a way that was shallow. And shallow-hearted responses come from shallow teaching of truth. I'm growing. I probably had good intentions. I don't think it was all for naught. Don't get me wrong. But I do wonder sometimes if the reason why the response was shallow was because the truth giver was shallow. And I want us to be very conscious of the fact that this morning, and I think as our church has grown and as you hear preachers preach in the, 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 we don't have very many guest preachers as we used to have guest preachers because I'm, I'm so much more cautious about this very thought right here. Jesus wants you happy. Jesus wants you healthy. Watering down the hard parts of the gospel. Elevating the benefits of the gospel. Jesus never did that. 
That's the problem. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus held up the hard part and encouraged people to count the cost. That's what, that was Jesus. In our day, the preaching of the gospel has become so watered down that oftentimes we find the church filled with tears. Unbelievers. People who, yes, attend church. And people, if you, if you ask them, are you a Christian? They would say, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. I've been going to church all my life. I, I prayed when I was a little kid. I got baptized. I don't remember everything. But hey, you know, my parents tell me. And, and we, we have a church filled with people who have made shallow responses. People who have never really come to grips with their own sin. You go back 100 years ago and you read a quote like this from Charles Spurgeon. Don't imagine that the gospel is magnified or God glorified by going to the lost and telling them that they may be saved at this moment simply by accepting Christ as their Savior while they are wedded to their idols and their hearts are still in love with sin. If I do so, I tell them a lie. I pervert the gospel and I insult Christ. The gospel is... Not quick and easy and fast, though it is simple. It must not be reduced to a bare minimum. You know, the older I get and the more I study the condition of our churches and of our country that is supposed to be or was called some kind of a Christian nation, I wonder how we got to this place and I cannot help but to wonder why judgment begins at the house of God. So I say all that to say this. How can you tell if a heart is shallow? Because that's a big question. I mean, if I have a shallow heart, if you have a shallow heart, how how do I identify that? Well, remember I told you verse 16 sounded really good because here's this heart that receives the truth and they're rejoicing. Well, look at the next verse. But they have no root. This heart that was rejoicing about the truth initially fired up, but there was no root. And they endured for a while. Oh, they came to church for a few weeks, a few months. But when tribulation came, when persecution came, on account of the word, immediately they fell away. So two things very obvious in the text that are evidence of a shallow heart are this. Number one, when hardship comes, they fall away. And I want to say this, the children of God follow harder after Christ, after trials. That's what the children of God did. We're in the midst of some tough times, but the children of God are going to follow harder after Christ in the midst of this time. And so when tough times come, we see oftentimes that we don't see them anymore. Well, I thought the Christian life was easy. Shallow truth, shallow teaching of the truth. The Christian life is not easy. It's not a cakewalk. I mean, we have a great future, amen. Heaven is going to be sweet, but I'm going to tell you, we're living... In many ways, hell on earth right now. This is, I mean, this is a very tumultuous, difficult times. Would you not agree? And even in our own country, we sense that not only are there hardship, but secondly, when persecution comes and it's coming, they bow out. Persecution on the job. Persecution in your family. Persecution from friends. These are the things that reveal the true characteristics of your heart. I remember when I was very young, I, 
I was shocked that not all of my family would be happy that I'd received Christ. This little Roman Catholic altar boy. I didn't know one verse in the Bible. I didn't know anything about, you know, I, I didn't know where the book of Matthew was. I couldn't have turned the mark without starting in Genesis. I didn't know where anything in the Bible was. I had no idea about salvation or grace or faith. I knew nothing about those things. Raised in a church, but never introduced to the gospel of Jesus Christ in a personal way. I remember calling some of my family members in New Orleans and telling them that I'd received Christ. And I was so excited. And the response that I get from the first relative that I called was, what have you done? That's crazy. And I said, well, I received Christ in my heart. You did that when you were a baby. I was there. I saw you get sprinkled. And I thought, well, I, I, no, no, I didn't do that. I mean, this is something completely different. The next words were this, you're in a cult. You're in a cult. What have you got wrapped up into? I'm saying all that to say, oftentimes we see persecution from those that are closest to us. Not everyone's excited about the fact that we are making decisions to follow Christ. And it's in those moments that the characteristic of our our, our faith and our commitment to Christ is often most revealed. Question number three, do I have a crowded heart? Verse 18 and verse 19, and others are the ones sown among thorns... They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things enter in the picture. They choke the word, and again, it proves unfruitful. Do you have a crowded heart? You know, it's amazing. We went to Scottsdale for vacation, and it was super hot. It's totally different. My fa- I, I can't explain this if you've never been there. Maybe some of you have and you know what I'm talking about. You can be in 115 degree weather and not sweat. It's the weirdest thing. I mean, we were out sometimes three or four hours just walking on a golf course and not sweating. We were like, why am I not sweating in Arkansas when it's 85? I'm pouring sweat, right? It's the humidity. You got it. You understand that. But all, all that to say, we had a wonderful time. I took the boys golfing a few times. I don't golf, but I took them golfing. I love just driving the cart and watching them. Something about a dad sitting in the golf cart watching his kids have fun that just, I don't know, maybe I'm weird. So I'm watching that. And what I noticed about these golf courses in Scottsdale is they're beautiful. The greens are beautiful. The, 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 the fairways are beautiful. I mean, everything about these these. They're just pristine. We have a, a, young, a man in our church, a family in our church, uh, actually Danielle's uh, sister and her uh, brother-in-law attend our church, Ryan Severs, and, and we haven't had a chance really to meet them because they came right in the middle of, right before the pandemic, and they've come a couple of three times, but it's been like all of us just trying to get things together and, and even be comfortable with coming. I mean, all those things, we're facing those things. But anyway, we haven't had a chance really to meet them in an in a intimate way yet. But Ryan worked for the number one golf course in America, in New Jersey. Number one, I mean in the world. In the world, it's rated number one. And when we got to go visit that golf course, I remember being on that golf course and just being amazed at how well the grass was. There was no weeds. There were no, it was just absolutely perfect. And when I understood how much money went into the irrigation system, how much money went into all of the care and the upkeep of those uh, you know, greens and of those fairways, I was blown away. And then I thought about the, my front yard. <laughs> it's horrible. 
It's the worst thing you've ever seen. I mean, literally, seriously. Drive by 3rd Street, look at 621 and be like, poor preacher, man. I need to help that dude out, you know. It's bad, man. But, you know, have you ever driven down a street and noticed a good yard? Doesn't a good yard pop? It pops, doesn't it? Something about a good yard. It just pops. I mean, it's just nice. It's pristine. And you could tell that it's cared for. In fact, one of the things I found out this year on the golf cart, there is these little tubes full of sand. Or so I thought it was sand. But it has nutrients in it that when you create a divot in the, in the fairway, you pour that little sand over it. And it, it quickly provides a way for that to fill up. And so it can grow again, right? I didn't know that. It's pretty cool. So all that to say... That in this passage, I want you to understand that if you try to plant the word of God in a heart that is crowded with many other things, it's not going to work. You're not going to have a, the the garden of your heart is going to be very difficult for the word of God to grow in a heart that is crowded with many things that are choking the word out. In this text, it gives us three things. Number one, it says the cares of the world or the worries of the world, fear about security, fear about safety, fear about our reputation. These are so common in the world today. They are easy to excuse. It's amazing. We are facing a great opportunity in this day to trust God in a lot of ways because of everything that's happening. And yet I seem to see more fear on the faces of people than I do faith in the midst of an opportunity to be children of God in a a very difficult time. The cares of the world. Secondly, it says the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. Money is a liar. It's such a liar. It lies really bad. It's amazing. Everybody's worried about money, how much they have, how much they're going to have. Money tells you, I'll make you happy if you have enough of me, all you need. You know, we sing more of Jesus. And what we ought to sing sometimes is just more money because that's what I need. I need more money. I'm telling you, preacher, enough of the Jesus thing. I just, I'm telling you, money Jesus will get me to heaven, money will make me happy on earth. And we believe that. We, I know that sounds hardcore, but I'm telling you, this is what oftentimes is happening without us even realizing. It's the deceitfulness of riches. If I have a better car, if I have a better house, if I have enough money in my 401k, money tells you I'll make you secure. Money says I'll make you feel successful. Money says I'll make you feel important. But money lies so bad that it chokes the word out of our lives. What is a preacher doing saying this, right? I'm just, I'm really just kind of telling you what the Bible says. The deceitfulness of riches and the the desire for things. These are weeds in the garden of your heart. And they choke the word out. Well, there's a good heart here. Amen. Are you ready for the good heart? Number four, do I have a fruitful heart? Now look at verse 20. This is amazing. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word. They accept it. They bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. That, hey, that's phenomenal. You say, why is that so phenomenal? What are you so excited about, preacher? Okay, I did a little study on what would be a good harvest for a for a farmer, a good year. What's a good year? What's a good crop? Eight to one. Eight to one is unbelievable. Ten to one 
would be a bumper crop year. I mean, like, that's, that's almost once in a lifetime to have a 10 to 1 yield on your, on your crop. 30-fold? 60-fold? 100-fold? That's supernatural. Only God could produce that kind of responsiveness. Only God. Listen, so, so let's talk about that for just a moment. If, if I were to tell you that I planted an apple tree in my backyard, right? Hey, guys, I planted an apple tree. So people kind of get curious. Hey, I wonder how preacher's apple tree is going. So Scott says, hey, preacher, I heard you planted an apple tree. How many apples have you got? Well, none yet, Scott. But, uh, you know, hey, just ask a little bit later. And so maybe three or four months later, Scott thinks about it again. Hey, how's those apples coming along? Well, nothing yet, but, you know. And a year later, Scott comes to me and says, hey, any, any news on the apples? Well, no, but, you know, Scott's going to kind of wonder. I wonder if preacher even, even has an apple tree. Did he really plant one? So what is the fruit that is the evidence that I am one of God's children? What is that fruit? Well, let's look at what the three main fruits are. There's probably more than this, but I'm going to give you the three main ones that I can find in Scripture. Number one, the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, it says this, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's going to be evident in the life of a a child of God. When a Christian is planted, he bears the fruit of the Spirit. Now, notice I said he bears. This is not something that you produce. This is something the Spirit of God in you produces. It's impossible not to produce it because the Spirit of God in you is going to produce this, period. It's just impossible for the Spirit of God to be in someone and not produce these things. Now, you may say, well, yeah, but preacher, I got to be honest. I, 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 I got some joy, but I'm struggling. I just don't have the joy that I need. That's not a problem. I mean, are you growing? That's my question. Are you growing? It's okay that you need to do better. It's okay that you could improve. It's okay that you could be more kind, Jerome, to your wife. I mean, anyway, just kidding. And uh, that's okay. Jerome says, yeah, preacher, I could probably do, use a little help. Like, wonderful. I'm glad you realized that. I probably could too, but I'm, I'm going to grow in that area. I'm going to be tender towards God when he speaks to me because the Spirit of God wants to bear kindness in my life. He wants me to be more loving to my wife, more gentle with my wife, more kind to my wife. You like this, honey? Are you loving this? Should I keep going? Okay, more loving to my wife. He wants me to be those things. So because he lives in me, if I continue to be tender towards him, I'm going to grow in those areas. Number two, the fruit of worship. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 says, Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. The fruit of his lips. Every child of God has a growing passion to love and worship their creator. Every child of God. In church, we do it, yes, but in our lives. In our lives, this is, this is true. Acknowledging the greatness of God. Acknowledging his supreme worthiness. He alone is worthy of our praise. The fruit of our lips Thirdly, 
The fruit of winning souls to Christ. People who really know Christ long to see other people come to know Christ. It's just true of every child of God. It says in Proverbs eleven thirty that the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that captures souls is wise. Back to Mark chapter 4, verse 20 for just a moment. You think about it. This is what the scriptures are talking about here. Bearing fruit. Others that come to know Christ. It says that if we are, if we are, if the soil is good soil and the seed falls on good soil, then it will produce results. Now, wait a minute. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. I know what you're thinking. I'm probably thinking the same thing. Well, I don't know that I've got that many, but you know what? Sometimes we don't know how many we actually have. Is it going to be great one day to get to heaven and find out that some of the seed that we sowed? Yesterday, I got a, a Marco Polo from Scott even. It was pretty cool because Scott had just left staff retreat. He was under quite a bit of conviction, like we all were, right, Scott? About just the gospel and sharing the gospel. And there were a couple of things that were said that could really kind of poke you a little bit. And if you have a tender heart and your heart is poked, you kind of feel like maybe you got to do something about it. Does that sound like what I said at the beginning? Okay. So Scott left and he... You know, he wasn't thinking about who, but he said he was somewhere and someone came in contact with him and he just knew beyond any shadow of a doubt. He said, it was like, if I would have walked away from this one, it would have been just saying to the Holy Spirit, no. So I started talking to him 30 minutes later. He, and I love what he said. He goes, I don't really know what's going to come of it, but I know this, that I got a chance to share the gospel. Well, you know, what's got me get to heaven 50, 60 years from now. Or if Jesus comes back sooner, amen, and find out, wow, I sowed some seed and here they are. So there may be 30, 60, 100, 2,000, we have no idea, but I will say this, I think it would be healthy for, at least, for me at least to say this much. Do you have one or two right now on your heart? Maybe one or two or a couple or a handful. Are you praying for some people? Are you talking to some folks? Is there somebody at work that you've been planting some seeds in their hearts about Jesus and the gospel? 80% of professing Christians will never lead a soul to Christ. A survey recently done said that 25% of the American population actually says they're born again. 25%. 80% profess to be Christians. But 25% say they're born again. So let's just take that 25% figure for just a moment. We are the salt, right? The salt of the earth, right? If I went to your house, Vince, and you served me a steak and it was 25% salt, would I notice it? (laughs) Right. 25%. Wouldn't you think that we would be making a greater difference if 25% were truly born again believers? 25%. I heard a preacher last week I was listening to on podcast say he thinks it's more like around maybe eight, seven or eight percent of true followers of Jesus Christ. So let me finish with three suggestions and I'm done. These are three suggestions to get your heart to a better place. Because isn't that the action that we need? This is the action part. We're finished with the other two. Let's move to the action. Here are some things that you can do to get your heart to a better place. Look at Mark chapter number four, verse 21 and 22. And he says to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? So so let's stop there and say, I go to Walmart, right? 
or I go to Target or wherever your favorite place is, I buy a lamp. I'm in need of a lamp. So I buy a lamp. I bring it home. I put it together. My family watches me put it together. We do it together. We put the little, you know, lamp together. We put the top on. We actually screw the light bulb in, and then we put a box over it. You say, well, preacher, that's stupid. You don't buy a lamp and put a box over it. Well, that's exactly what the illustration is. It's who buys a lamp, puts it under a basket, under a bed, not on a stand. I mean, who does that? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest or revealed. Nor is anything secret except to come to light. So I want to say that word, light, number one, here's the first action, light up. Light up. I mean, look, every now and then, I used to have a preacher say this, and it's okay, I like it, it's old school, but he said, man, if you're saved, tell your face. Amen? Could I just for a moment say that? I heard it 40 years ago. Light up. Oh, listen, I'm convinced with all of my heart that if you want to get your heart to a good place, you've got to get lit up for Jesus. My son, Joe, introduced me to that. Dad, get lit. It's like some kind of slang way of just saying, man, get on fire. Do something. Get off. Get off. Your, get excited. Get lit, Dad. I don't know what I'm supposed to get lit about, so I'm going to get lit about Jesus. Amen? Light up. Nothing will fire up your faith more than getting the spirit-filled boldness to light up and speak about your faith. Nothing. Man, it's exciting to tell someone about Jesus. Open your heart and share. Share something about God. Start small. Start with a grain of mustard seed of faith and just give that to God. Just actually... Just get enough boldness to say to a waitress or a waiter or somebody at Walmart, hi, my name's Eric, and I just thought I'd ask you this question. Is there anything I can pray with you about? You know, it's kind of awkward, isn't it? But boy, once you say it and see that tear stream down her face and see her respond because it was the one God put in your path, and she says, thank you so much. Yeah, uh, and she starts talking. You're going to be like, man, I can't wait till the next one. It's incredible. It actually works. Light up, church. When you light up, it'll get your heart to a better place. Number two, listen up. Listen up. Look at verse 23 of our text. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Listen up. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. I love verse 25. And that brings me to this little illustration up here that you've been wondering about, right? What in the world has preacher got these things up here for? All right, think about it. You ready? I'm almost done. Think about it. For to the one who has more will be given. And from the one who has not, even that, uh, even what he has will be taken away. Verse 24 again. Pay attention to what you hear. For with the measure, for with the measure you use, it will be taken measured to you and still more will be added to you here's what jesus is saying here jesus is saying that spiritual truth is what tills the soil of your heart so this morning if this is the size of the spiritual food that you're going to get if this is your container this morning this is what you brought this is the measure that you're going to use it'll be measured back to you you know that's not much This is what we put the little grape juice in, right? Anybody ever wonder why in the Lord's Supper we don't get a a nice full glass of grape juice? (laughs) I've always wondered that anyway. 
I might be, you know, hey, this is a little better. Anybody ever go to Starbucks and order like the espresso? It's a waste of money. It's ridiculous. It costs like five bucks. And it's like, the first time I did it, I thought, I'm going to try that. And they give me this little thing. It's like a cup and it's got like, you know, that much. And I'm like, oh, gee, thanks. I'm like, you know, how can I get more than this? And they're like, well, we can give you an Americano. And then, so they take the espresso, put hot water, and man, it's, it's better. I'm saying it all to say, man, maybe you brought some, a, a little bit better measuring portion to, to receive this morning. And you kind of have come, and it's like, man, preacher, I'm excited. I'm actually kind of getting to where I can't wait to come back next week. I might even try a small group this week. Or maybe you... Yeah, come on, preacher. Give me more. I'm ready. In fact, when this is empty, preacher, I want you to fill it up. That's the way I feel about my wife's Chinese chicken salad. Seriously, this is the kind of bowl I want to eat that chicken salad in, sweetheart. And when you when I finish, I want you to fill it up again. I could eat her Chinese chicken salad, no joke, every day of my life. There's five reasons why I married my wife. One of the five is Chinese chicken salad. And she's Japanese, go figure. Anyway, I say all that to say, what measure that you meet, it shall be measured to you again. Listen up, fill it up, fill it up. Here's my cup, Lord, I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench the thirsting of my soul. And when you quench it, God, I want to be thirsty again for more. Thirsty for, enlarge your capacity to receive spiritual truth and watch your heart get to a better place. It's wonderful. It may be that we have to turn the television off some. It may be that we have to give up a hobby or two. We are so filled up with sports. We're so filled up with hobbies. We're so filled up with, with things. And I, I know this is not, man, I told you, it's a little bit of a tough thought. I'm doing it in a loving way, but I'm sitting here getting convicted myself. I'm thinking, God, make me more determined to be filled up with you than filled up with a lot of other things that are choking you out. Light up, listen up, finally in closing, grow up. Grow up. In every one of our lives, we have areas that God is asking us to change. Seems like every week, and I know our worship team is coming, but it seems like every week Jordan says the word, or talks about sanctification, you know. You ever thought about this, Mark? The, the title of our series is Growing in the Likeness of Christ. Wouldn't it be great if we could accelerate that? Kind of a bummer that we can't be like Jesus yet. I, I can't wait till I can be like Jesus. But I want to accelerate my growth. I want to grow more. Can, can you go to the text with me in closing? Look at it real quick and we're done. Two minutes. And he said, the kingdom of God is as a man should scatter seed on the ground. This is the kingdom of God. So a man scattering seed, back to the seed. He sleeps, he rises night and day, and the seeds sprout and grow. He doesn't even know how. You know what I have written down in the margin of my notes next to that verse? I have this written. It's a miracle. Honestly, I have no clue how I am here today preaching to you. I have... It's a miracle. I look back at where God's brought me from and I'm like, this is insane. God's been so good to me. The earth produces by itself, the blade, the ear, then the full grain in the ear. So there's a process to the growth. It starts and then it has processes. That's good. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle. Because guess what? 
the harvest has come. It's over. Full maturity. Lifetime of living for Jesus. Now it's time to be like Jesus. Go to heaven. And he said, with what can be compared? with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it it's like a grain of mustard seed it starts so small I didn't even know how to find Matthew in the Bible I couldn't quote John three sixteen. I knew nothing but I came and said God I got this little grain of mustard seed I know I don't want to go to hell I know I believe you died for me. He saved me. And and, and that little grain of mustard seed, follow the passage, which when sown on the ground, it's the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. But when it's sown, it grows. It becomes larger and larger and larger than all the garden plants. And it puts out branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Here's what Jesus is telling us. The kingdom of God is about growth. It's about growing. It's about sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. And we've got to beware of Satan who is snatching seed from the seed in your church to the seed in your car. And we're not growing and we're not ready for the things that God has for us. May we as a church determine that as we listen to God's word, that we would ask, God, grow me. I want to light up. I want to listen up. I want to grow up. I've been pastor of this church for 28 years. I've been married as of last Thursday, 32 years, and I'm still growing. I'm not there yet. I still find myself at times, you know, failing and making a mistake, but getting back up and, honey, I'm sorry. Let's work on that. And, and let's go for 33 years and then 34. And, and even pastoring this church, there's been times I, I thought, oh, man, somebody else could do a better job. And God said, no, you stay in there and stay at it. And, and keep at it. I've got a plan. I'm growing you. And I feel like my growth is accelerating these days. I feel like I'm accelerating somewhat. I'm so thankful that my heart is getting in a better place. I take rebuke better. I'm, I'm, I just, this past week of teaching at the staff retreat, man, it just really took to some soil that was convicted. Scott, like you were about some things, right? And I just want to, I want to grow. I want to grow. I don't want to have a a hard heart, a shallow heart, a crowded heart. I want to have a fruitful heart. Let's bow for prayer, shall we? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, just before I pray over you and we give a short invitation and we're dismissed. And the invitation is really a response time. And I just pray that God would just allow us to respond as he would have us to, whether that looks like something at the altar or something in your seat, or even if it means to come to me and take me by the hand and say, hey, I I need prayer, whatever that is. Do you have a hard heart? Are you running from God? Are you running from the truth? Are you denying what you hear? Distracted? Has it just gotten to the place where you're just apathetic? You're just apathetic. You, you, you know, and you even agree. You're just not doing it. Do you have a shallow heart? In these days of tribulation, in these days of trial, in these days of uncertainty, are you finding yourself maybe falling away? Or maybe bowing out? Do you have a crowded heart?
or the cares of this world or the deceitfulness of riches or the desire for things. And there's nothing wrong with being blessed. But when those things, when we try to get our happiness from those things, we're so disappointed. The word of God cannot take root. Or do you have a fruitful heart? This morning, if you're not sure that you are a follower of Christ, I would encourage you to come forward in just a moment and let me have an opportunity just to take some time or my wife or someone else. Even if it means we need to get together this week and just chat about some questions, I'd I'd be so honored to be able to do that, sow some seed into your heart. Father, thank you for this opportunity to pray over this audience and to know that you brought us here together for a purpose. You're growing us. This process of sanctification is beginning and God, it begins at salvation. It begins at that moment that that seed begins to germinate and it ends when we become just like you. But until then, Father, may we strive to truly be someone who is yielded to you, growing in grace. Does anyone here under the sound of my voice that does not know you is uncertain about eternity. And Father, today they would make that choice. I love you and I love this crowd. I love this church. I love our people. Bless our response time, this time of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, shall we?